How did he give us this message? I mean, God didn't carve out the Bible on stone tablets and give them to us like he did the Ten Commandments. The hand of God didn't just suddenly appear out of thin air and, 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 and write the Bible on a wall like he did to the message to the, you know, uh, Belshazzar, the Babylonian king. I mean, those are two very unique exceptions where, where God just directly, you know, gave us a word. They're important, but they're very brief messages. They encompass about 15 verses out of over 31,100 verses in the Bible. Overwhelmingly, God uses humans. He used men to express his truth. In 2 Corinthians, or excuse me, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 21, it says, For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will. In other words, none of, none of the Bible that we have here, none of these letters, these books that we have, they didn't just suddenly, Paul said, oh, I think I'm going to write a book. You know, like we might do today on a subject of religion, you know, and it wasn't an act of human will. They, they didn't. It wasn't their decision to do it. But men were moved by the Holy Spirit. Think about that. That the Holy Spirit came upon these men in, in a powerful way. And God begins to speak through these men. And they spoke through the centuries. And today, God is speaking to us. Now, I find this, you know, so interesting, so unique, because in using men and humans, God also uses that, that author's personality. He uses the author's writing style. A lot of the letters, we can identify the authorship of them by their writing style, as they've identified in other places of Scripture. You know, and often they also use the real-life experiences that that human author has gone through or was going through. And that is the case of 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 through 8. And that's where we're going to be this morning. Continue our study in 1 Thessalonians. God's truth is going to bleed through the life of Paul to us and communicate an encouragement to us today. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 8 of chapter 2, and I'm going to ask you to stand in reverence to the word of God as it is read. It says, For you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain, but after we had already suffered and been mistreated in Philippi, as you know, we had the boldness in our God to speak to you the gospel of God amid much, much opposition. For our exhortation does not come from error or impurity or by way of deceit. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God, who examines our hearts. For we never came with flattering speech, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed, God is witness, nor did we seek Glory from men, either from you or from others, even though as apostles of Christ we might have asserted our authority. But we prove to be gentle among you, as a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children, having so 
fond and affection for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you have become so very dear to us. You may be seated. If I had to pick one word that would kind of capsulize what Paul was saying in these eight verses here, it would be the word perseverance. The word perseverance. A, a, a stick to Very easily put, not quitting. Not giving up. You know, um, I want you to think about perseverance for a moment here, and I want to have a moment of reflection for us. And I'll be looking for a, a response, at least to this first question, a moment here. I want you guys to think, how many of you have ever been discouraged or you've ever been frustrated over the reaction you may have gotten when you shared Christ with somebody, a, a, maybe a family member, a co-worker, you know, maybe one of your neighbors. You know, you, 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 you got up the boldness, you prayed about it, and a door seemed to open, and, and you shared with them your faith. But the reaction, indifference, maybe, you know, the, kind of just feel them belittling you, sometimes ridicule. How many of you have had an experience like this and you walk away and you felt discouraged? How many have felt discouraged with that? Yeah, just about everybody has had that. How many of you have ever felt discouraged, and I'm not going to look for a response to this one, but how many of you have ever felt discouraged over the reaction or lack of reaction of a ministry that you were involved in? You know, maybe you're teaching Sunday school or working with the youth group or, you know, leading one of the ABFs or involved in the worship team. And, you know, in your service in it, you've just become tired, became worn out, you know, often unappreciated in your service and, you know, what you're doing for the, the church, you're doing for Christ. I won't ask for hands for this, but I think we all have. If, if you have been saved for any period of time, you've all experienced this sort of discouragement. Well, the question is not whether or not we're ever going to be discouraged. You know, the, the walk away from a witnessing situation or walk away from a ministry and when it's being done that, you know, we're just worn out. That's not the question. The question is, what do you do with when those times come? How do you go forward? How does it affect the next time you feel that there's a, an opportunity for you to share Christ? How does that last experience that rejection, that ridicule, that mocking, that indifference. How is that affecting this next time you have a chance to share Christ? Or that, you know, experience that you had, you know, on, on a, a committee or in doing some service and, you know, good or bad, whatever it was, you just you got out of it and you were tired. What does that do the next time an opportunity, com opportunity comes for you to get involved in the ministry? Well, this morning, my message to you is going to be a little shorter. Remember last week, it was supposed to be on the end of the sharing for the Alaska missions trip, but uh, that went so overwhelmingly uh, long. I don't want anyone to ever criticize me for the length of time that I preach, um, but uh, it, was, it was fantastic, and uh, there was no need to say anything more. So, so this message is going to be a little bit shorter. My desire this morning is to give you a spiritual vitamin C shot to your perseverance 
your witness, your service to our Savior. So I, I want to start, and I'm only going to make a few comments from the text here. I want to I start by you noticing the backdrop of all this truth that is being shared. Notice the phrase that is used in these eight verses over and over again if you continue on through the rest of the chapter. He says in verse 1, you yourselves know. In verse 2 it says, as you know. In verse 5 it says, as you know again. Verse 9, if we go on, it says, for you recall. Okay, the truth that God is about to share, what Paul is about to say is not secondhand to the church of Thessalonica. But he is teaching them out of his own spirit experience something they have been eyewitnesses to. Not only can Paul relate to this truth that he is giving them, but the church at Thessalonica was firsthand witnesses to what he is about to share or the experience that he's about to share. And I, I just want to tell you the most powerful testimony that we have often is not in what we say, but in what people see. I mean, do we say as Christians, do we say that Jesus Christ is the Lord of my life? Or do people see it? Do people look at you and by the decisions that you make, by your priorities, by the way that you, you order your life, that they can tell that Jesus Christ is the Lord of that person's life? Do we say Christ forgives sins? Or do people see it in us as we receive that forgiveness. And then we pass that forgiveness on to other people who maybe have wronged us. Do we talk about a changed life? Do we talk about new life in Jesus Christ? Or do people see that our lives are changed, our lives are different because of Christ? Paul said in this in this book, he said, in, first of all, in chapter 1, verse 6, he said, you also became imitators of us and of the Lord. Paul would say to the church in, in the Corinth, in 1 Corinthians 11, 1, he says, be imitators of me, just as I also am of Christ. Now, when Paul is saying be an imitator of me or look at my life and see what I've experienced and, and, and follow after that, he wasn't talking about some sort of code here. He wasn't talking about a, a, a level of moral purity. We know Paul struggled. Matter of fact, in Romans 7, verse 15, he says, For what I am doing I do not understand, for I am not practicing uh, what I would like to do, but I am doing the very thing that I hate. Paul struggled with sin. When he was saying being an imitator of me, he wasn't saying because i am you know, got this morally perfect life. What he was saying here, he is talking about a different type of an imitation. Paul's model was one of his dependence of Christ, his faith, his zeal, his passion. And in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, we are going to see the model of perseverance in our faith. So Paul can say, be an imitator of me. I don't just talk about persevering. Let me show you my life. You, you've witnessed my own persevering. So that's what we're going to talk about real quickly here. Let's go back to verses 1 and 2. It says, For you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain. But after we had already suffered and been mistreated in Philippi, as you know, we had the boldness in our God to speak to you the gospel of God amid much opposition. Now, it's easy to just read this verse and and not personalize it, what he is saying here. 
I mean, Paul is, is saying that before we, I came to Thessalonica, you remember Paul and Silas had been in a city called Philippi. And when he went to Philippi, just as he has done to many cities, he was preaching, he was teaching. There was an event that happened there in Philippi. There was a, a young, small girl that was possessed by a demon. And she had the b- ability to, in some form, you know, tell the future. And she was a slave girl, and, and her masters were planning on making a lot of money off of her. Paul cast this evil spirit out of this girl. Remember what the result of, of that act, they're preaching, they're teaching, then he does this great act of showing the power of God and casting out this evil spirit. It says in Acts sixteen nineteen. but when her master saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and they dragged them into the marketplace before the authorities. So suddenly this mob forms and, and circles and circles Paul and Silas and they drag them before the authorities. Verse 22, the crowd rose up together against them and the chief magistrate tore their robes off them and proceeded to order them to be beaten with rods. And when they had struck them many blows, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to guard them securely. And he, he, having received such a command, threw them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in stocks. I mean, think of this. Paul is beaten. Silas is beaten. I mean, folks, we're a society that flips out if somebody lightly spanks their children. You know what it means to be beaten with a rod? To be beaten with a rod, this was a, this was a Roman punishment. Sticks were, were taken and they were intertwined together to make a heavy stick. And unlike the Jews who, when you, when you read in Scripture, it talks about the whippings or the lashes they give, and they had a limit. You know, they would only do 40 minus 1, 39 lashes. That would be the most. There was no limit to what the Romans would do, this, this punishment. Matter of fact, it says that they were, they were struck with many blows. I mean, think about that. Think about receiving that. Think about when you go to work. Think about when you're out in the community and you share Christ, and, and that's the result of it. So this is what happens to Paul and, and, and Silas. And so they're thrown into prison. Ultimately, when they get out, I mean, things have become you know, so hot for them in that area that they had to leave. It goes on in verse 40. And it says, They went out of the prison, they entered the house of Lydia, and when they saw the brethren, they encouraged them, and then they departed. And then they left, and ultimately they're going to end up in Thessalonica here. So let's view this in real terms, what's happening here. I mean, if we're honest, you say, well, Philippi, Paul's service to God saw fruit at Philippi. We remember that when he was thrown into jail with Silas, that they were singing, and about midnight came, and an earthquake happened, and all the doors were opened. And remember the jailer was about to, you know, fall on his sword and die because, you know, he knew that was going to be the punishment for the prisoners being able to get out. Paul calls out to him, and ultimately the jailer gives his life to Jesus Christ, and his family gets saved. So there's fruit at Philippi, okay? This family gets saved. A church is planted in Philippi. We know that because the book of um, Philippians is written back to these Christians that became the early church at Philippi. So there is fruit there 
But overwhelmingly, the message of Christ was rejected, and it was scorned. I mean, again, they were ultimately beaten, and they were in prison because of their faith. And again, it was so hot there that they had to leave when they got out of prison. They couldn't stay around. They'd become such objects of, of, of scorn and ridicule. I mean, not only was his message rejected, but the result was animosity and physical violence. If you go to 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 11, we won't turn there, but you will read, Paul is recounting towards the end of his ministry, he's recounting some of the things that happened to him because of his faith. And he says numerous times he was imprisoned. He said he was beaten times without number. In other words, he couldn't even remember them all. How many times he had been beaten because of his faith. Five times, he says, he received a a whipping from the Jews of 39 lashes. Three times he was beaten with rods. Here's one of the times we talked about in the book of Philip, uh, uh, in, in Philippi, in the city of Philippi. He says, once I was stoned to death, left to die. So my question is, did that stop Paul's boldness? Did that stop his zeal? Did Paul tone down his message? I mean, next person I talk to, a little bit less condemnation, a little bit less damnation. Maybe I won't talk about hell so much. You know, let's talk just a little bit bit more of, of, of God loves you. No, he says, but after we had already suffered and been mistreated in Philippi, verse 2, as you know, we had the boldness in our God to speak to you the gospel of God amid much opposition. In other words, at Thessalonica, he was opposed as well. And boy, you know, humanly, you got to think, here it goes again. It's happening again, all over again. The beating, the imprisonment. But Paul says, I never stopped. I had that boldness. I continued to preach regardless of what the results were. He goes on in verse 4, he says, but just as we have been approved But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God who examines our heart. For we never came with flattering speech, as you know, nor with the pretext of greed. God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from men either, from you or from others, even though as apostles of Christ we might have asserted our authority. In other words, his message stayed the same. It didn't matter what the response to it was. There was a perseverance to Paul's faith. And in in some ways, we may not suffer like Paul suffered. I mean, unbelievable physical suffering. But in a lot of ways, we know this temptation that Paul must have had to change his message to, let's just flatter people. Let's just be people pleasers. You know, let's share gospel in a way that you know, um, is more acceptable to unsaved people. And you know that. You know that battle every week because you've stepped out and you've shared the gospel maybe at work and you were rejected. And maybe there were snickers and, and laughs. And what do you do next? What do you do the next time an opportunity comes? What if you get a different job and you think, well, I'm just gonna be a little bit different here about my faith? Do you keep it to yourself? Do you tone it down? You know, when you go to the next family event, 
You know, because your, your family thinks that you're some sort of a Jesus freak. You know, that you're some sort of extremist or whatever it might be. Do you, do you just, do you tamper it down? I mean, how many times have you been burned and ignored and pushed away because of your faith? How many ministries have you given time and energy to and maybe people let you down? Maybe you became discouraged. Folks, this is where this message, this is where this example is so important to us. A perseverance in our faith. A stick-to-itiveness. Something that doesn't change regardless of the response of the world that is out there. Hebrews 12, verse 1 says, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance. It's the same word, a Greek word, perseverance. Let us run with perseverance, that race that is set before us. Let's not get distracted. Let's not stop. Let's keep pushing forward in our faith. James chapter 5, verse 11. We count those blessed who have endured or persevered. You have heard of the perseverance, the endurance of Job, and have seen the outcome of the Lord's dealings, that the Lord is full of compassion and he is merciful. It is a call to persevere. It is a call to endure. And then finally, Romans chapter 5, verses 3 through 5, says not only this, but we also exalt in our tribulation, knowing that the tribulation, these hard things, and this is what Paul would say, these tribulations, these, these beatings, these these lashes, this imprisonment, this being stoned, all of these things, knowing the tribulation brings about perseverance. And catch this, perseverance then leads to proven character, and proven character leads to hope. And hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. I mean, hard times, rejections of our faith, they aren't signs that you need to, to you know, change course or change message. Hard times and tribulations and rejections, they are part of building perseverance. You cannot develop perseverance in your life without rejection. You cannot develop perseverance without difficulties in your life. And you cannot develop Christian character and Christian character that also leads to this great hope in Jesus Christ. You cannot have those if you have stopped persevering. If you have said, it's enough. I, I don't want to go through that again. I don't want to have that same experience. And so Christians all the time, we have that temptation, as verse 4 says, to please men. You know, let's not make waves, you know. Uh, they, may, they probably don't want to hear this, so I'm not going to tell them. And let's not make any waves. Verse 5, you know, having those flattery, flattering lips. You know, let's just talk about health, wealth, and prosperity of all that Jesus can do for your life and how he can make it better. You know, how Jesus can solve all your problems. You know, he can. He, he doesn't always do that, we say, but he can solve your problems. So we offer Jesus to people like he's some sort of a spiritual lottery ticket. You know, maybe you're going to be the winner this time, and Jesus is going to take care of your problems. And we have so 
corrupted the gospel and the truth because we don't want the consequences of what it means to be a Christian, of what it means to stand in a family and stand out and be by ourselves or to be mocked or to be ridiculed. And so we change the message and we even change our involvement in our faith. Well, I want to leave you, I want to leave you with some encouragement. I want to leave you with this focus. We have a call to live a Christ-likeness. And that Christ-likeness involves all areas of our life. I love what Pastor Mike said at the very beginning here. You know, we, you know Christ is in everything in our life. You know, we're not, you know, carpenters or father's husbands. We are Christian carpenters. We are Christian husbands. You know, we are Christian wives. I mean, Christ permeates all of our life. And our mission may be to reach the lost. And this is my encouragement I want to give you. We have a mission here, you know, to, to whether it's at work, in our neighborhood, in our families, wherever we are, we have a witness, our, our, our mission to be a witness, to be an ambassador for Jesus Christ. So that's our mission. But I want to tell you something. Our audience is not the world. Who we care that sees how we are living and what our testimony is, it is not the world. Verse 4 says, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God, who examines our heart. Approved by God. God who examines our hearts. That's our audience, friends. That's our audience, brothers and sisters in Christ. It's not the world. It's not that family member that rejected you. It's not that, you know, the break room at, at work. The audience is God. And do you ever think for one moment that God sat up there in heaven and said, there goes Paul again. God himself arrested again. And can you believe it? You know, God himself rejected. He's being mocked again. Oh, look at Paul, he's, he's being beaten again. How do you think God looked down and viewed Paul and his boldness? How do you think God welcomed Paul when he came into heaven? Folks, that's what perseverance is. And that's where, I, I, again, I just love how God is, is giving us this encouragement through the real life experience of someone who's gone through it, not just here, let me give you in theory. This truth is just bleeding literally through Paul's life. So I want to close with the verses in Romans once again. Romans chapter 5, verses 3 through 5. It says, and not only this, but we also exalt in our tribulations, knowing that tribulations bring about perseverance. And perseverance, proven character. And proven character, hope. And hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who he has given us. So where have you suffered in your faith? Where are you suffering in your faith? Witnessing that work and family members Getting involved, maybe you feel overused, overcommitted at church. Well, folks, God wants to build a hope in you. 
And that hope is only going to come through building a Christian character in you. And that Christian character is only going to come if you persevere. And you're only going to be able to persevere if you face trials in your faith. God is trying to produce that character. But if you quit, if we become men-pleasers, live to avoid conflict and rejection and disappointment, what will become of our faith and our relationship with Jesus Christ? God is using everything in your life. And I just want this to be an encouragement to you. If you're, if you're facing tribulation and trials and struggles right now because of your faith, that, that's not necessarily God saying you need a course correction. You need something to do something different. God wants you to persevere. God wants you to seek him. God wants you to continue to have that boldness for him. And just like Paul did, you know, he went to the next town and he did what God had called him to do, regardless of what had happened, regardless of what he knew was going to happen. He had that perseverance in his faith. Let's pray. Lord, I, I confess to you, it is much easier to speak these words than to obey them. We very much live in a culture that gives us excuses to be a victim. It gives us many opportunities to pass blame off to other people and not to, to stick to what we have been called to do. So, Father, I'm asking you for this church family, for the believers in Christ that are, that are hearing this truth, speak to us, Lord. Everyone has a different message to them today of something that, that they need to persevere in, in their faith. And I pray for that encouragement. I pray, Father, for in that perseverance that there will be a godly character built. And through that, our hope in you, our relationship with you would grow. Thank you, Father, just for using our real-life experiences to be part of our faith story. In thy name we pray. Amen. I would love to tell you what I think of Jesus since I found in him a friend so strong and true.